0: Hi folks, Steve Urban here, founder and CEO at recruiting and consulting firm, RiderFlex. If you think today's tip or guest interview can help someone you know, please share this with them. And if you enjoy listening to our show, please subscribe to our channel and hit the like button on the episodes. Finally, aside from our podcast, our day job here at RiderFlex is to provide recruiting, staffing, and consulting services. You can visit riderflex.com to learn more about us and get the information on the services we provide. And now a quick word from our sponsor and friends at Marketing 360.
1: Try the number one marketing platform for small business. Everything you need from design to marketing to CRM. Learn more at marketing360.com. Marketing 360,
0: fuel your brand. Let me make sure my dog is Ryder. Where are you? Okay, make sure Ryder's okay. Ryder is my dog for Ryder Flex. <laughs> oh, I love that. Love it. I love the branding of it all. <laughs> uh, yeah. Sometimes he goes not steering these things, but most of the time he doesn't. Um, all right, Kate Ladone on the Ryder Flex podcast. Hi, Kate. Hi. How are you? Doing well.
1: I am heading off to Hawaii at the end of this week, so some may say I'm doing great, um, and <laughs> That would be me. I'm nerve sighted for that, you know. I'm I'm leaving the business for twelve days, so there's the thrill of it, and then the also like, oh, I gotta, you know, prepare to leave the business for two days.
0: It's twelve it's days. So, it's so hard to relax as a, as a founder, as an entrepreneur, or a CEO. It is. I find it very challenging to let go. Uh, it's hard. <laughs>
1: Um, as someone who has been to therapy for having OCD, that would be obsessive (laughs) compulsive disorder and general anxiety disorder, which is this false illusion that you can control everything, (laughs) you know, which I think most of us just have, especially founders. Um, Mm -hmm. I completely co-signed that. I did have a shift around that this week though. Did you? Yes. So somebody very, very smart um, that I'm in a mastermind with said the biggest thing that holds organizations back is making decisions, right? That's why as founders, it's hard for us to leave because you think all the decision makings roll up to you. I'm not actually afraid like activities while I'm gone. I've realized that the thing I need to prep the team for is decision-making in my absence. And in that way, it hasn't been going over workflows with them It's let's forecast any decision that you feel not empowered to make a decision on and roll through that with our company values, with what you know to be true. And you know what? You might scrape your knee a little bit and make a decision I wouldn't have fully made while I'm gone, but I'm coming to terms with the fact I need to give you slack to make those decisions or else we're never going to scale whether I'm going on vacation or not. You need to be able to make decisions.
0: That's absolutely right. If you want to just be a little consultant with two employees and run a little marketing agency, and that's great if you want that lifestyle business. But if you want to scale, yeah, you have to empower people. You got to give them room to make decisions, make mistakes, and you know you recover from those. The team will learn from it as long as they don't uh, drain cash flow. <laughs> that's right.
1: <laughs> that's right. Yes. I hear um, you.
0: <laughs> before we get into brand wise, why don't you give us some early life? Tell us about Kate a little bit, where she grew up, maybe parents, siblings. Give us some of that, if you don't mind.
1: Yeah, I grew up in uh, Southern Maryland. Um, for those okay. of you who know anything about Southern Maryland, I would say Calvert County. Uh, okay. But it being the smallest county in Maryland, nobody knows what that means. So I'll I'll triangulate. It's like 40 minutes outside of D.C. Most people living there, their family was probably working in some capacity in the D.C. ecosystem, which is very much me, my uh, father gotcha. was a police officer before he started working with the alcohol, tobacco and firearms, uh, the Bureau of oh, Alcohol, okay. Tobacco and Firearms. My mother was a school teacher, uh, paralegal before that. So it was very much not an entrepreneurial household. Mm, um, interesting. <laughs> interesting. All right. That's, interesting. Yeah. I, in fact, everybody in my family, everybody in my family, my brother, aunts, uncles were all in law enforcement in some capacity and so I think a lot of them were wondering where I came from um because that was kind of like the family business and I I went I zigged when they zagged I went a completely different direction to the shock and horror of my uh parents at first when I said you know I think I'm gonna leave corporate I was like 25 making a great salary after the recession in 08 um And I was just bored. I felt like every day a part of my soul was dying in corporate Mm. Mm. and it got to a point where I had such an existential like quarter life crisis that I just had to leave. And I actually, my first piece that got me on LinkedIn was why your parents will never be happy. You're an entrepreneur. And I remember that reach like micro virality of people just being like, oh yeah, absolutely. My parents were, were not thrilled at all and some of their parents were entrepreneurs i thought it was just Mm -hmm. my parents who were in a more traditional setting that weren't co-signing that but it seems to be a common theme
0: did you have any siblings
1: i do i have an older brother uh who went into the family business he is a detective um and he is three years older than me and lives in tampa
0: with his family is your dad retired from the uh uh, alcohol, tobacco, and firearms—eight, eight, ATF. I guess is he retired? He is full, full-time fisherman. Uh, is, <laughs> is what he does. I keep trying
1: to incentivize him to like put out content. Like you could write a fishing report and like I could put it. On social media for you and he's like stop trying to get me to start a business i'm, not, I'm just not doing it i just like fishing i don't want to create a fishing report
0: <laughs> i bet he has some good stories though I'll huh? probably i bet the, i mean the amount of stories he has probably unreal
1: i was lucky enough to get invited to his retirement send off um they were doing cross training with seal team six and that was that was an experience uh sure. i had no idea what was that. like they picked it was seriously like a movie i was just like picked up in a grocery store parking lot and then dropped off at like the base for the cross training and then his retirement party was afterwards cool. um so <laughs>
0: very cool very cool very cool okay sounds like an awesome family so so uh i know you started touching on the career but first i want to ask about college what, what did, did you you went down to north carolina what What? would what, what you party too much the first year you got kicked out dropped out what what happened
1: <laughs> yeah it was not as adventurous as that I went down to UNCW oh. uh, okay. my family was kind of like North Carolina adjacent my parents were down there my grandparents were down there a part of the year my brother went to East Carolina I University see. and so I started there um, and at the time I was really into modeling uh, I okay. had an agent in New York City okay and Turns out there's not a booming market for fashion (laughs) modeling in North Carolina. No, Uh, no. Uh, Who would have thought? Um, Uh, I I didn't want to go to school in Manhattan, though. And so I needed to be like a train ride away from New York and Baltimore.
0: That was it. Okay. yeah,
1: felt doable. Mm -hmm. So I switched to Towson where I graduated from um, and finished out my my education there.
0: So did you do modeling through high school and college, uh, like kind of all the way through and then and then you went to work for an agency, I think, right? Is that how is that what? Well, yeah. Walk us into it a little bit.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I did it mostly in college. It really helped. Um, it, I wish I could say I like ended up modeling for some huge designers. Actually, it was a lot of like commercial campaigns. Um, okay. that ended up with Maryland based companies. And so there's these ear warmers called one eighties. Some of you probably know and have them. They're like, they go around the back of your head. They had a patent for them. Oh. And I was the model on the box. Um, oh, I had no idea what my agent called me. She's like, I need you to be this place at this time. Yep. It's $5,000 for four hours. And in 2000, I mean, you're saying like 2010, $5,000, four hours, you're a college yep. student. You're like, great I don't care yeah. what I'm modeling like I'll be there so I got there and they're like how do you feel about ear warmers and I was like all right like sure Whatever. I can act cold <laughs> So it was like jobs like that that got me through college um okay all right and then I interned with my agency I would teach the younger models like how not to let crazy feedback get you down um and also how to how to catwalk I would run the catwalk courses. Um, But that really fed into what I thought I was going to do in college, which is I wanted to graduate early, which I ended up doing because I wanted to go to law school. And then I wanted to get a, uh, you know, a law degree and then become an agent myself and kind of disrupt the industry being like a she for she agent as somebody who really understood the pain points of being on Modeling side of things, and I wanted to kind of like change the industry for the better, and like be the oh. Jerry Maguire of like models. Um, <laughs> towards the end of my collegiate career, I took a sales and marketing course and decided, regardless of what, if I went into talent agency or wherever, sales is life. Um, and so I decided not to pursue law, and I just became dogged with sales and marketing. And I think that okay. was probably the first embers of my entrepreneurial being that I started to fan.
0: So when you started in sales and marketing, working for somebody else, were you, were you thinking I'm going to have my own agency? Then did you start thinking, I'm going to, I'm going to do this for a year or two. I'm going to learn what I can here. And then I'm out. I'm going to do my own thing.
1: You know, I don't know if it was a predetermination. I think whatever job I ended up in, and there was two notable corporate ones before I just, You know, pulled the ripcord and went out on my own. It was sales for a magazine, um, a regional magazine, and then also running the marketing department at a lending company. Whatever that was, I was always looking for a side gig to the gig. So when I was selling magazine ads, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't just sell them to my clients. I would then interview my clients and create the ad for them. Um, So they didn't have to do it themselves because I just liked doing it. And so it was the same thing with when I was working at the lending company doing marketing, I started to apply the principles that a regional national company, which is who I was working for, were using to grow and apply them to mom and pop shops in Baltimore, which is where I was living at the time to get them to scale, or at least be in a position to scale through acquisitions like my day job was. And so it was more of a, Mm. I realized I couldn't stop. And when I talked to entrepreneurs or people considering entrepreneurs, they say, you know, what, what business would you recommend I go into? And I always say the one that you can't help but to do. I mean, I walk down the road and I, I look at Mm. ads and think, oh, their framing is off base or their messaging Mm. is off base, Mm. or they should have said it like this. And it's such a compulsive thing that I just knew if I'm going to do this anyways, I might as well be out to grow it the way I want to grow it.
0: Now I meanwhile you're talking to mom and dad and they're but they both worked for the state, right? For the government for you know did their did their 20, 30 years or whatever, and they're looking at you like you got two heads or something.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. No, I don't think they I I think they respected it. I think they always knew I was like a type A. I mean I I was like straight A's throughout school. I was always gonna do what I could do. I Go think ahead. being being smart and working hard was like my strong suit. Um, okay. I almost to a detriment. I don't say that as like a self-congratulatory thing. I mean, I was like unhealthy in school. Mm. I remember I was in tears when I got my first B and my mom was like, Oh, thank God. Like you need to learn <laughs> what it's like to fail. Like it is not normal how obsessed with perfection you are. Mm. And if you're obsessed with perfection, you're never going to start a business. I mean, right. <laughs> Ever, ever. (laughs) It was good that I that I got knocked down a bit, and that I had parents who actually encouraged me not to strive for perfection. I think they saw how unhealthy that was in a lot of areas of my life. Did
0: did you ever get in trouble when you were young, high school, college? Like, did you ever like I don't know get arrested? Did you ever like anything cool?
1: (laughs) Uh, I think like the closest thing to that would be my friends and I got drunk, like when we were 15 and we were, you know, like benched from my volleyball team for a week. Cause our coach found out about it. I would love to say like, I was a little more reckless than that. I, you know, like that's all I have in terms of earning my dangerous stripes is like underage drinking, which is such okay. a dweeby thing, but here I am. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay so tell us about when you quit your last job are you you know moving from your last paid employee job and starting brand wise walk us into the transition there
1: it's funny because it wasn't brand wise when i started it it was just ladon branding and marketing and yeah. i was a consultant and i was doing brand strategy at the time what the hot young thing on the block was um, was firms didn't understand millennials i really enjoyed when i as a millennial was like the cool thing of discussion everybody like oh millennials this and we can't figure out millennials and like everybody was really into us for a while and so i i really rode that um now of course we're old news like gen z is firmly in the workplace like they're making fun <laughs> of millennials now it's great it's really like humbling to be on the other side of that but there's this <laughs> big thing I'm, um, I'm learning what not to do with my hair and makeup and clothes as TikTok fools <laughs> me on a regular basis of telling me why I'm like not with it anymore. Um, pretty funny. Yeah, uh, Everybody gets their comeuppance, right? I, it's going to happen <laughs> to you sooner or later. So I, I started helping really professional service firms, uh, law firms, accounting firms in the Baltimore area deal with how to get millennials in the door because we just weren't appreciating what... Some of those traditional frameworks were from a branding standpoint. So how
0: did you, how'd you how did you get client? Yeah, how did you get the client? Those early clients. I'm just curious how you transitioned. Yeah, go ahead.
1: Oh, so part of that not being able to turn it off is I would I, would, I was in a job where I didn't have to network, and yet I would network. Um, I would just go to marketing
0: events. I was I see, looking for I mentors.
1: Okay. I was looking for people
0: to point Making me in connections. All right. Making yep.
1: connections. Um, I I would I will talk to a wall. It doesn't always talk back. So I took all that. <laughs> nervous, extroverted energy and just put it to places. Um, Okay,
0: very good. So
1: enough of those people, and Baltimore is small. It's like, its name is small Like if you live there, it's like, oh, so-and-so knows so-and-so and -and 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 so-and-so. You just start to play connect the dots. Everybody, Mm -hmm. it's not six degrees of separation in Baltimore. It's like 1.5, maybe (laughs) 0.75 is where your, your, you know striking distance is very close. And so I think people just started to see me at these events. And then um, they would say, you know, you're you're pretty sharp. Maybe you should help. I have a client who would really, really value talking to you. Um, That happened in one very particular instance. I met with this regional accounting firm and they were really going through it on their rebrand. I mean, it was one of those inflection points of, we're going forward and setting up the succession plan for the partners that are in place now, or we don't know if there's a succession plan kind of a thing. So they need and brand to get and the- branding
0: strategy overall from thirty thousand feet was already becoming your specialty, or did you have something underneath that like social media or Facebook marketing or this or this or that? Or were you or were you already kind of a thirty thousand foot branding, branding branding strategist? Okay, branding. Okay. Okay. I was
1: fortunate that. I really was in a sinker swim position with Mariner finance was the company I started with the lending that when I started there, fr- I mean, fresh out of college, we were in six States. And when I left, we were in 16 going on 25 through acquisitions. Mm, great and so it really was, I mean, I learned M and learned private equity mm. and I mm. learned how to absorb internal culture and in brands and reposition that and deal with it externally too. I mean, we were, roping people into a brand um, from an employee standpoint and from a customer standpoint. And so I think very, very fortunately, I was put in a position to always look at 30,000 feet um, mm-hmm. because of just our roll-up strategy and our fierce acquisition path. And
0: Great.
1: <clears throat> yeah, and it, you really, I mean, around that point, it's old news now, but I was starting to see the convergence of marketing, IT, and HR and how omnichannel that had to be. Okay. Um, in terms of recruiting, retention, development, and the overall value of your business. So it truly was, I mean, from a, a pretty young age, I had that vantage point, um, to see how quickly a company grew in the brand, how to grow with it or start at a point where it could grow into that brand. Um, mm. and so I always started there. Like what's I'm looking at your brand 10 years from now, I need to give you a roadmap So whether it's through organic growth or acquisitions, you can fit into that brand. Like we need to not fake it until you make it, but state it until you create it. You need to start acting like the company you want to be in 10 years Mm -hmm. today, which is going to help you make the decisions that you need to be making to get there.
0: Did you eventually get enough clients? I mean, what you're like, Oh shit. Now I got four clients. I can't do all this work. I got to hire somebody, I guess. Is that how it
1: happened? In a matter of speaking. Um, So I had that meeting with the accounting firm. I was waiting to hear back from them. If I got the contract, I would have basically replaced my salary just with one client because I was doing hourly rates and they were used to that being accountants, right? And they had high hourly rates. I quit my job before I heard back from them. That's when my parents were like, you're an idiot. Um, (laughs) You really, why would you do that? And I think this is the other part of being an entrepreneur. You need to know how you're motivated And what's going to scare the crap out of you. And for me, it was, if they come back and they say, we didn't really like you. We don't want to hire you. I'm going to dawdle around with my comfortable corporate salary. I'm not going to put my feet to the fire to go get another client. It's true. But if I've already quit, I'm going to be like, crap, I need to go generate. And like, again, I'm a person that is really motivated by that. Um, and so cool. I think cool. where most people saw it as a win-win, if I just would have waited, I saw it as a lose-lose. I, I thought I need to jump before I have any evidence that I shouldn't jump. And I need to just build that parachute on the way down.
0: Now, let me ask about that parachute. Cause it's a good, good tip for the listeners. And by the way, I love this advice it is true. If you want to be an entrepreneur and you think you're going to do it without taking risks, I mean, you're living in some sort of fantasy world, there's going to be risks, right? Like you, you have to take Mm -hmm. chances along the way, all kinds of chances on that particular chance. I don't know how personal you want to get, but what was your, did you have like a little savings or were you thinking, okay, I guess I'll move back in with mom and dad. If I don't get this, like, what were you thinking in the back of your head? (laughs) I did. Yeah,
1: not much. Um, (laughs) emotional, (laughs) which I don't, I don't, I don't recommend being either. I don't recommend being emotional. That is, I want to be very clear. Um, it's worked out for me a lot. It's not worked out for me sometimes, right? Um, being just be, I've learned as I've scaled this company and now have a team, you really got to bring logic into the equation. Um, just emoting all day is it's not, it's not the smartest strategy in the world. Having said that, I think I just thought if I stay here because I'm so checked out, they're going to fire me anyways. Mm. And like, I could get a job tomorrow if I wanted to. I mean, I could go back into sales. Like I had contacts. That's where the power of the network, I think came in because Mm -hmm. even if I wasn't going to get that contract, two weeks go by, things aren't looking good. I'm glad I built that network, even though I didn't need to, because I could have made some calls and at least got an entry level job. And at that point I wasn't in it for money. I've never been in it. I'm not money motivated in that regard. I just, I was doing it for sheer passion, like anything to get me out of, you know, death by a thousand cuts on a daily monotonous basis.
0: <laughs> I love the several good points there. Uh, you know, I always want to mention this Kate real quick. So first of all, passion, you, you know, if you're following a passion, it's never, it never feels like a job. Secondly, for all those aspiring entrepreneurs out there, you can always just go get another job. If it doesn't work, if your business fails, and by the way, it, it, there's a high probability your first business will fail, mm-hmm. you can just you can go get another job. It's not like life is over, <laughs> mm-mm, mm-mm. right? So and yeah, listen, I mean, right
1: now with the labor market being what it is, you can get a job like yesterday. You get a exactly. job exactly hours ago. 10 exactly hours ago, you can get a job.
0: <laughs> so true. So true. <laughs> Okay. So you started moving along, uh, you, you, you know, walk us through, you started building it and then at some point you branded it brand wise. Can you walk us through that? Yeah. go for So it.
1: I had consulting clients and I knew I was either going to have to come up with a product and grow a business or okay. come up with a team and grow a business. I started product and then I backed into team. And today we do a little bit of hybrid of the two. So okay. around that time I was actually documenting all of my steep, learning curves on LinkedIn. It was just cathartic. I was just like, Oh, tried that failed, tried that failed. Let me share it with the world. So, you know, I could save some pain. And then I remember I got an email from a company in Toronto saying, Hey, I follow you on LinkedIn. I'm starting this hair care company. Um, I like how you think, like, I get how you think. I like how you think I need you to brand my company. And Uh, yes. I mean, at that point, I think she had a business plan and some logos that were not great. Let me just fast forward to you all to where she's at today. She's amazing. I was like, oh, hair care, good luck. Like there's Paul Mitchell and like all these (laughs) conglomerates, L'Oreal that have billions of dollars, the best of luck, but definitely will help you brand it. Um, she's in Y Combinator their first year. They did a million in sales and she was ranked as like top, 40 under 40 in Canada. I mean, the company is on fire. I don't attribute that. I attribute it to the brand, of course. I mean, that's what I did, but I I attribute it. She is an amazing founder. Having said that, I very quickly realized like, oh, I could get leads from LinkedIn. I mean, I thought I was just constricted to Baltimore. Now cold leads are coming in from LinkedIn. Mm. And Mm. then I started sharing how I was getting leads from LinkedIn with people. And then they asked me to start to coach them on how they could do the same through content. So I did live classes, hired a VA, turned the live classes into an online course. That was the Influence Academy.
0: I see. Okay, that's okay. Is that still an operation, Influence Academy?
1: It's operational. People, It's like one of those wonderful passive products that I wake up some days and it's just like, somebody bought it for $2,000. I'm like, oh, wonderful. Um, (laughs) You know, in 2022, I'll probably make a bigger play of it. But how we became brand wise was, Then people started taking the Academy executives, um, for personal branding reasons and saying, this is really great. I love that you taught me how to do it time. I just don't have the time. Why don't you just write the content for me? Mm -hmm. And it was an intersection of that and a book, uh, publicity agency that saw what I did for an author who launched a book saying there's a hole in the market. There is a room for executives to build thought leadership on LinkedIn. You are uniquely good at it and you understand branding and where they're trying to leverage the personal brand into a corporate brand strategy of Mm, mm. recruiting, lead gen, just overall subject matter expertise. You should do this. Um, So I met with my accountant. This was in December of 2019. And he was like, "All right, listen. Here's where you at. You have an online course. You're a consultant. You either need to put the pedal to metal on the online course, or you can build a team to deliver some of the products while still selling the online course. Because you're always going to be capped as a consultant by the, you know, hours you have in the day." Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he loved it. He didn't. He did not say this. This was my takeaway because um, my internal dialogue is very, very harsh. It's like what I took from that was it's time to put your big girl pants on, like mm. having your little consultancy is fun and your little <laughs> online course, but <laughs> you need to just, you know, show up or, or get out. Um, that's not at all what he meant. I think he meant like, are you happy with a lifestyle business right. that maybe you can't exit from, or do you right. want to grow it? Right. I was like, Oh, this guy is telling me, like I have no business being an entrepreneur unless I scale this puppy. Um, <laughs> and so I sat down with my, project manager and virtual assistant at the time who had run a business herself. And I remember she was in on that meeting and I just said, Pam, what do you think? And it was when she looked at me and was like, let's LFG, like let's freaking go. That I was like, all right. (laughs) And so we hired our first subcontractor December, 2019. Now it's September, 2021. We have, 10 employees. And the company has, my goodness, quadrupled since that point. I mean, we really started with a whole new business model. We started an agency at that point.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Now you have a full-blown agency. What do you think you'll do in revenues this year? Can you give it, how big is the company in general? I don't know how much you want to share.
1: Yeah, of course. No, happily, I share this with many people. So we're on the march to a million. We'll probably end up uh, closer to like 758 this year. But- I mean, listen, 24 months ago in this model, we were at zero. All day, I'll take, <laughs> I I'll love take it. it all
0: day. I love <laughs> it. I love it. When you hit a million, it's going to be a, a major milestone for you. You know, uh, First of all, congratulations already of getting it to where it is, but you hit a million. It's going to be awesome. And how many people on the team right now, if you include 1099s, NW2, what do you got?
1: Oh, my goodness. I think it's like 13 or 14. That has been, okay. Okay. I mean, acquiring clients that quickly – is a learning lesson, acquiring Mm -hmm. people that quickly is a greater learning lesson and building a culture. (laughs) And building a remote Mm -hmm. culture, because we've been remote from the start and will always be, that's probably the hardest but most enjoyable learning curve I've had. That's really where I realized a whole new type of passion um, for learning Mm -hmm. and development and training people. And when my employees say, you know, this is a workforce like I've never been in, and a workplace I've never been in. I didn't, I couldn't have forecasted how much gratification I would get from that, um, and how much more that would mean than just straight revenue and profitability and stuff.
0: Now, now, see, let's take a deep breath right there. You're absolutely right. I'm, I'm a lot older than you are, so I can confirm. Yes, uh, you know, I've worked with many business owners at the end of the day, towards the back end of their life, you know, you get to be 60, 65, whatever, you've owned a few businesses. It will be about the lives that you changed. It will be about the people you mentored, shaped. It will be about the families that you, that worked for you, that paid, paid their homes off, put the kids through college. Uh, it'll be about the fact that you created this engine that puts food on the table for families. Uh, that part will be more special to you than any revenue number you hit, or, oh, I hit you know 100 clients, okay, cool. Yeah, the other part will be so much more special, I think, at the end of the day. And it always has been, for anybody I've talked to that's been in the business for a long time, that part is the, is, is the special sauce.
1: <laughs> it's, a, it's really a joy. Um, it's really a joy in a way. I really thought I was going to start this business, sell online courses and be a free agent. Mm. Um, what I didn't realize is there was a missing of community for me. And even when it's really hard knowing that you have a team and they're in it with you is Mm. more gratifying than I ever felt going those challenges, you know, alone.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. It, and it's scary too now because you're putting your brand reputation in other people's hands as you scale up, right? Somebody else has to do the tactical work that you would normally do. You're delegating and things like that. And that is nerve wracking and scary, but it's super rewarding when you're building a team that does that together and they're successful. And that's the only way to, that's the only way to scale it. I mean, you're not going to scale your business and be a growth business if you don't, if you don't give people autonomy and authority to, to do things, uh, congratulations on moving it to this level. And so, brand wise, by the way, brandwise is brandwisemedia.com. Brandwisemedia.com. Is that the best way for the listeners to reach out? Go to your website there and hit the contact page, or yep, or okay, that's the best thing to do. And then, and then, Kate, by the way, real quick before I forget, here too, Kate Lidon can be found on LinkedIn. You can connect with her there. She's got 15,000, almost 15,000 connections, which is huge, right? Lovely literally. your LinkedIn profile is awesome. Thank and you. Uh, you can learn a lot there from her. Plus you can send her a bunch of little sales messages and try to sell her things on LinkedIn. She <laughs> loves those too. Oh for
1: sure. <laughs> the highlight of my day is looking for <laughs> software as a service sales messages in my inbox.
0: Right. I love it when I get them and they're like, "Oh, I see that you're in warehousing business and I'm like, what <laughs> what, what, what profile are you looking at, bro? I don't know." Definitely.
1: The merge fields get people in trouble there. When you try and like set up the auto messages based on merge fields and a profile, it's was like, based on your work at, insert here, <laughs> Influence Academy, I think we could really help you. I'm like, well, you're really following, you know, like Influence Academy is a product of a brand that I, whatever. And then I'm just like, do is this a teachable moment for them? Do I sit here and teach them or do I just... Step off my soapbox and get on
0: with my day. So I've tried that, right? I, every once in a while, I will just take a thirty seconds and I'll go, okay, I'm going to blast this guy for sending me this dumbass message, and then I'll send something <laughs> to try to help him, and that just offends him. Even
1: oh yeah, it's a go, lose. It. It's not it's a good. It's not right. a good use of time. Is what I. <laughs> what <I've>
0: <laughs> so 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 brand wise, are you targeting? Uh, you know, talk to us a little bit about the model. Are you talking targeting startup to small mid? Who's your target base? Are you targeting certain industries? And then roll that also into what's the business, what's the business model? Is it, is it by project? Is it by month? Just talk to us a little bit about all that. Go for it.
1: So when I was helping firms brand, I would always give them this pithy little tagline that I didn't come up with. I forget who did um, put in the show notes, but it's basically the the thing is the riches are in the niches. I'm sure many of us have heard this. Um hmm. And I would tell, right? It's like, it's very sticky. Um, And I would always tell people, if you want to go fast, go narrow, you know, just get really clear on your (laughs) value prop. How ironic it is that taking your own medicine almost never happens. Um, And so we were definitely, I mean, even up to last year, a generalist and we would help founders of companies with their personal brand on LinkedIn, companies generally doing at least 3 million annually. And then what we realized is for a variety of reasons, our sweet spot was it's a founder of a company who is writing a book um, and they're writing a book in some business capacity. So whether that is diversity, equity and inclusion, whether that is hiring, whether that is HR management, whether it's just straight leadership principles, whether it's investing strategies as a venture capitalist, mm. we get a lot of those. and what we realized the value prop was is that they're releasing this project they spent a great deal of time on that's basically putting out their thesis statement to business is generally what it is it's like their thesis Mm -hmm. of how they approach business yet they haven't been actively nurturing their personal network because no surprise they're busy running a business and so we come in alongside a publisher um, whether it's traditional hybrid or self-publishing and we build up the audience, grow them, and then invite them to purchase the book through direct copies or bulk purchases. So bulk purchases, like organizations, associations will say, we want to purchase 200 of these for all of our members. We have this conference growing up. And so we really realized that there was a missing for it's, it's become so niche now business authors who run a company who are using their book in an overall upsell ecosystem to help them launch that book, sell the book, and then use the book as a platform to B2B sales, speaking engagements, board positions. A lot of them are very Mm -hmm. accomplished and they just Mm -hmm. want more board positions and they want to raise that. Mm -hmm. And we've really found a great strategy and framework to make that happen reliably.
0: I um, see. Very good. Through, through okay. Like so that, that is the, that's the niche right now. Do you, do, do, uh, do I call you when I'm thinking about writing a book or do I call you after I already have my publisher and I already have my draft and, and then BrandWise gets involved?
1: Six months from pub date is probably when you want to get us involved, um, okay. or at least okay. start putting out content. You know, usually when people write a book, they take a backwards approach to it. They are going to write the book and then find the audience and find the sales. You want to just like product development, find the audience, find what they need and write the book to that message because then the book is going to sell itself. It's not Mm. unlike developing any other product. For some reason, people just don't think of a book like a product. Mm. Um, It's very Mm. what I have to say focused versus what the market needs to hear focused. And there's a a difference.
0: Mm. Okay, very good. So what but what about calling brandwise for I don't know, let's say um, hey, our company LinkedIn page, or you know, can you help us with that? Or can you help us with our social media in general messaging? Do we call brandwise for any of that or no? No, no.
1: Corporate, social, we have great partners. Um, okay. we want to work with the C-suite and the authors. And what's been really great and rewarding as well is developing strategic partnerships uh okay. with publishers, with publicity firms. There's so much, I think, I don't know what I don't know when it comes to writing a book that I've, I've seen even the most astute marketers getting take down, get taken down by Mm. marketing a book. It's just part of it is you're in Amazon's world. I mean, we're all in Amazon's world, my God, but you're in Amazon's ecosystem. And then what I think what a lot of people, here's a myth I'd be happy to dispel right now they see like a New York times bestseller or a wall street journal bestseller. Mm-hmm. And they're like, Oh, wow. They wrote a great book. What they don't know is there's usually no kidding. Three to four teams, mine included a publisher, a publicist. And then there are specific bestseller teams that get put in place that are behind a bestseller. I mean, they- you're attacking it from six to seven different fronts.
0: I see. Um, because I the see. lists
1: look for different things and they make sure you can't game those lists. They're very, very clear uh, about not gaming the list because at a certain point in time, you could game the list and just buy 25,000 of your own book on Amazon to get New York Times bestseller. Well, they quickly got hit to that and changed
0: everything. Okay. Okay. I've heard that people could do that. Or at least I remember hearing in the past where you could get your book as a bestseller and it really wasn't. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh yeah, it was the wild, wild west of like vanity list making. Um, the the yeah. publishers and the media outlets very quickly realized that people were, you know, writing a book and then paying ten to twenty thousand dollars to buy their own book just to get a vanity bestseller title.
0: Do you ever talk to the publisher or the author and say, "Hey, uh, by the way, I'm happy to help market your book, but this chapter right here sucks. Like, this is dumb, buddy. You need to change this." <laughs> so, you, you ever get involved in the content?
1: Fortunately, we're not in developmental editing. Um, okay. There are certainly times where I get in early enough where I'm like, yeah, maybe we re-examine the title. <laughs> like maybe we're gonna re-examine uh, the title for a variety of reasons though, right? Somebody was telling uh, me the other day that there was a book called like, I will help you get rich. Okay. And I guess it seems pretty straightforward enough, right? going read this yeah. book, so mm-hmm. they're gonna help me get rich. What the person didn't consider is that you could never do like Google AdWords around that because they would never, and most advertising platforms think that's a false promise. And so the very title of your product is not going to pass the sniff test Mm. for paid ads. And so there's Mm. a, there's, you got to be thinking from a few different angles of what goes into naming this this book. And um, Mm. that's Mm. about as far as I tiptoe. Otherwise, we usually get the manuscript when it's finished and we're just making sure we are finding the right audience to receive the right message to buy the book.
0: Okay, Um, I know this sounds
1: terrible, but what they think of the book after they buy it is, you know, (laughs) that's less of my concern. (laughs) Uh, But from a long-term strategy as an author, you should be thinking about that because your first book sells your second, which sells your third, which sells your products. So mm -hmm, I don't want to say like, oh, the goal is just sell the book you need to realize like much like retaining current customers, your best strategy is to service them well and put out a good
0: product. Mm, that's right. Absolutely. Okay. Let me ask you this. I want to get into a, a couple of hot topics here. I don't know what you want to comment on. Feel free to just pass on anything I might ask you, but, but you're a LinkedIn. I mean, I would consider you a LinkedIn expert. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are your thoughts on LinkedIn specifically? What are your thoughts on these CEOs that are writing books or whatever? They're trying to brand themselves and tie it back to the company, but really it's kind of about them too. What are your thoughts on them getting on LinkedIn and speaking out on social topics and picking sides on hot issues and mm. making comments on things? What are, your, what, are your, what are your thoughts on that? Should they, shouldn't they? What's the, what should you, you know, what just in general, what's your thoughts?
1: I was actually reading one of our, client's books the other day, and I thought he said it really, really well. Um, And they're a very ethics societal driven company where he said, I think your place as a founder is to get behind policies, but not speak to politics. Mm -hmm. And I think they were speaking very, very uh, pointedly about, you know, things like AI, gene editing. I mean, you're talking about things that if you don't get ahead of the policy ethically, where are you going with society? And I thought that really mm-hmm. summed up where I'm at on how founders should use their voice in the platform. As someone, especially if you have a business in a certain industry, you should be a part of the conversation with policy and policy makers and educating them because we're always gonna move faster as private sector companies and you know the government probably is. Mm-hmm. But getting into the politics game, virtue signaling, that can also have adverse effects and cost you big time in the long run. And so I really liked that. I think keep it to the policies, you know, especially when there's a direct in line with your company and the products that you're putting out. Um, but getting into politics while you may get into the slipstream and ride the coattails of like big trending media topics, mm-hmm. usually in my experience, not a good long-term play for you. If you're not really fully committed to, I have a, I have a real commitment to the policy and doing what I believe is in the best interest as it goes to the policy and not playing to one side or the other.
0: Mm. Good. Okay. I like that. You know, I was thinking about this coming back from my recent camping trip. I live in Colorado, so I go up to the mountains all the time, but uh, I was coming back from a recent camping trip and I was putting my Yeti cooler away Mm. in the garage. I was uh, unloading stuff and I was putting my Yeti cooler away. And I thought, you know, here's a good example. This is a good product. I like the product. I'm happy with the product. Um, I would buy another Yeti. I think it works great. I'd even give them a recommendation. I have no idea what the CEO thinks about anything. And I have no idea what the company cause is or the mission statement. And frankly, I don't care. (laughs) Right. Sure. Sure.
1: It's keeping the hot drinks hot and the cool drinks cool. It's really all right now.
0: I I was thinking about that. (laughs) I was like, all I care about is my beer is cold for two days while I'm up there. That's really like, that's all I care about. But then I thought, well, you know, is that should I care? Like, should I go on the website and check to see what their cause and mission is? Maybe I should be more into it. I don't I don't I don't know. I was kind of questioning myself, but you know, so I was battling that that topic in my head, right? Like maybe I feel guilty about not knowing. I don't know.
1: <laughs> it's interesting. I think everybody, especially in 2021, I mean, I'm gonna say something and you all will take it how you hear it, but I think we also can give ourselves some grace. Um, I think a lot of us feel like, unless you are doing the deep research, looking at everything to the nth degree, Mm. you are a terrible person who is contributing to the demise of society. (laughs) And if that is your story, this is where like personal development therapy is probably coming into play here. (laughs) Like I would argue, even if you're making the Right choice, like that's just not a healthy way to navigate life. And so when you know better, you do better. If tomorrow we hear, you know, a story and the Yeti guy is just <laughs> I don't know what he's doing. He's doing terrible things, right? Yeah. He is he or she, they are just right. really right. not yeah. a good person. <laughs> then yeah, I mean, I'd question if we continued to buy Yetis. By mm-hmm. the way, they they have like the store in Austin, Texas, and it is like a whole Yeti bar. This is like an experience. It is full on immersive yeti experience. I was taken away with it. Um but then then yeah, you know, but I mean also we're trying to run businesses. (laughs) We're trying to make sure our kids are doing, you know, it's just a lot of pressure to put on yourself. And I think that there needs to be grace as as well. Um, there needs like to be it. grace for yourself and for others or else we're just going to continue down this very, very divisive path that is a lose lose for everybody involved.
0: That's why. And I do feel like that. And I want to switch topics. I do feel that way. I feel like every single topic is trying to force people to always pick a side. And then when you pick a side they try to make you hate the other side. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, no, we you know what? You don't have to yeah, do that. We do we? Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> We're recording this on September 14th. Um, I think what was extremely relevant to what you just said was my experience of watching social media on September 11th, this past Saturday, the 20 year mm-hmm. anniversary, mm-hmm. Um, you know, living in New York, you just have, I mean, I wasn't in New York when the attacks happened. I was, outside of DC, Mm -hmm. um, which was also, you know, very impactful. Mm -hmm. I had a number of friends whose parents worked at the Pentagon and Mm -hmm. we were all, you know, dismissed from school and calls were made. But I did notice that on social there was, and maybe I was asserting some of this, but there was a very, I just felt like, okay, September 11th is probably the one thing is like Americans, like it's not really divisive to honor 3000 some people who have died. Yeah. Um, I mean, three thousand people of all backgrounds, just like truly mm-hmm. America, like mm-hmm. every kind of person mm-hmm. died in September 11th. And I read this post that Amanda Gorman, the poet who you know read it, um, the inauguration this year, mm. she posted and was like, "It isn't like you don't have to be one or the other. You know, you can remember and grieve to great degrees." the people who died and who ran towards the, towards the danger in September 11th, while also holding space for there was an uptick in attacks on, you know, Muslims after that, you might not have agreed with the war that was gotten into after that. I mean, that's all fine and good, but to polarize the loss of 3000 American lives, Mm. like that's Mm. where to, to your point, it like feels like everything is just like, here it is. It's either a black, or it is white, and you better, or it is A, or it is B, and you better, like, pick your thing. There's, and versus or, I think is, is the (laughs) word we could all very much lean into at this time.
0: Oh, I like that. I'm going to use that down at the tavern next time one of my buddies is trying to get me to to argue about a topic. (laughs) I'm going to be like, hey, man. It's and it's not or. I like it's it and it's Good. not
1: or. these things are it, that's one part where I sometimes <laughs> question myself, Steve, on like, what, am I contributing to the devices? I'm, I'm my business is in social media. right And I would say that, you know, we're talking about nuanced, nuanced nuanced topics that every person's life experience has sixteen different intersectionalities and inputs to it, but you want to jam it into a two thousand character thesis statement and then <laughs> right you know, really get on your high horse about how well did I put somebody else in their place? (laughs) Um, and that's the part of social media that when I look at the long range impacts of my business, I always want to invite and stand in the and, and never just create posts you were saying earlier for likes and engagement, because I know I can do the short play of a polarizing post. Um, Mm. And we find that our authors and clients are and people. They don't want just to be on a hot button topic for vanity metrics. They're really invested in the long-term dialogue of society and how people are impacted and giving grace and space to all of that. And so to the best of my ability in my very limited way, that's where I try and hold my like North Star and ethical compass on our business is, are we working with people who are promoting an opening dialogue or trying to just talk to
0: people not with people mm, i love it i love it kate a couple of last questions i know we're almost out of time here first if you got a call for a modeling gig and out in la for a month to pay you fifty thousand dollars would you go out there i'm just curious certainly wouldn't
1: turn it down immediately i'd be <laughs> open to the conversation
0: <laughs> hey you're perfect for a movie spot right you would you you'd fly out there and talk to him wouldn't you yeah Sure. Why not? I mean, why not? Why not? Okay. Um, Next one is this. Any aspiring entrepreneurs out there listening right now that want to start their own, let's call it service related business of some kind. Doesn't have to be marketing, but any, any kind of service related business. I know you could do an hour podcast on it, but do you want to leave them with two or three pieces of advice really quick?
1: service-related businesses, eventually you're going to have to hire people to help with that service because you're always going to be capped at the hours you have to give in a day. You can do value-based pricing, but even if you're charging $2,000 an hour, guess what? We all still have the finite amount of hours to give. Um, So inevitably, if you want to scale, you're going to have to bring in other people. If you're going to bring in other people, you got to be super clear about your values Mm -hmm. um, because that is what helps people make decisions like you would make decisions. And then third, and this is one that's recent um, and truly is a whole hour podcast. But know your know your li- labor efficiency rate on that. Um, Greg Crabtree, Simple Numbers, Big Profits, I believe, is the book, and he just okay. came out with a second version of that. Not a client, by the way, just a great book. Um, mm-hmm. Really goes into that where it's basically like you your gross margin, you know, income minus cost of goods sold, your gross margin. Mm-hmm that should be 1.8 to two times your labor costs, or you're probably not making a 15% profit. And so sometimes you like higher, 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 but you're not watching that. You could be growing broke mm. um, and growing broke is not growth for growth. sake. it's not smart. You want to mm, grow smart.
0: Mm, mm. Good formulas. Good math there for people trying to, or thinking about starting a service business. Love that tip. Okay. Uh, last question. Well, I'm sorry. I'm going to try to squeeze two more in here. If you had to define your, if you had to define your core purpose in life right now, if you had to put that in a sentence, have you ever thought about trying to define it in like a sentence, like your core purpose overall?
1: Mm. For the company, we actually just, uh, came up with this and it's, it's not dissimilar to my own, which is clarify messages to create content that resonates for me. It would be, you know, have conversations to connect in a way that inspires. Um, mm-hmm. I think that at the end of the day, I would say I have a really good life if I met as many people as possible, was empathetic to their background and used that to open other people's minds to how life could be. I mean, the reality is what? We have like seven to eight billion people on this planet. Well, then there's like seven to eight billion realities and how ignorant is that to think like it's only one way? There's probably... Oh. a billions of it walking around
0: good stuff. If you could call the young lady coming out of college and talk to her and say anything to her based on what you've learned already, what would you tell her?
1: Um, That as cliche as it may sound, um, the, the journey is the destination. Like you will fall 17 million times. And you will rise 18 million of them. And it really isn't the rise of the fall, but everything that happens in between that you'll look back on and say, that's been a good ride. Like that's been a really fun ride. I had an executive coach when I started the business that said, what is the point of surfing? I was like, "Uh, I don't know. He's like, it's to get to shore, but like, nobody just does it to get to shore. They do it to have fun. You're going to fall. You're going to get back up. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, you need to learn to like, enjoy the ride. Um,
0: mm, mm.
1: And so that's what I would say to, to them.
0: <laughs> good, good stuff, Kate. Thank you so much for being on the WriterFlex podcast and sharing your story. Awesome.
1: Thank you so much, Steve.